0: The rise and fall of an empire
1: We What's up ladies and gentlemen Mike Rhode here with Darren Prasad and welcome to another episode of Canucks Mafia we hustling crazy. What is up, people? Canucks Mafia, episode 43. It's been a while. I'm trying to remember how to podcast. Um, but I think we got it. Uh, unfortunately, no Darren Prasad today. It's Micromode rolling solo, but not exactly solo because I do have a special guest. Welcome once again, Malcolm Ert. Malcolm, how are you, brother?
0: Pretty good. It's good to be back uh, doing the podcast thing. It has been a minute for me as well. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Good uh, good to be back on the Area 51 Sports Network.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, p- part of the reason I think it's been a while is because obviously there hasn't been any Canucks hockey or Canucks news for the most part. But that all changed yesterday as they went for the home run big fish out of Russia, Andre Kuzmenko. So let's obviously start with that. Uh, Malcolm, like, I, what do you know about this guy? I mean, for, for me, it's just what I've read off of Twitter in the last month or so. Um, sounds like, you know, a promising guy, right? Like second in the KHL scoring, uh, not just kind of your your typical flashy Russian. Like the guy plays with a little bit of grit um, and, uh, you know, seeing pictures of him and videos of him in the last little bit, he, he, he's a big boy. He's kind of like that Pod Colson where he's just that, he's that stocky, strong Russian kid. So, uh, quickly, just kind of, you know, your, your, your overall thoughts on, on Kuzmenko.
0: Well, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I've you know, combed through or, or was watching his KHL games and, um, uh, and a Kuzmenko expert or anything like that. But to me, I think, you know, the first thing that kind of just hit me, and, I, and it's certainly not anything that's been brought or not been brought up before, but just the, the Canucks won something like this. Uh, you know, we, we've we certainly heard of, you know, you know, these UFA targets before and boy, do we often be, you know, that team that's the bridesmaid and and not the bride that the, oh, yeah, yeah, we were really close on, on this guy, but he ultimately, you know, there's just something that was a little bit better. Uh, you know, the one that always still rings back to me that I at least haven't heard is the Justin Schultz uh, when he ended up signing with Edmonton local boy you know, it seemed, you know, we were the team that, you know, was dominating kind of like Edmonton now. And it just kind of seems like it's the opposite situation where a player sees a, you know, a team on the rise, you know, a real opportunity for him where of course, you know, Schultz was worried he was going to be stuck behind some good players here. Uh, And ultimately, you know, it's, it's, you know, we, we always kind of joke, you know, some of uh, Benning's worst moves have actually helped us in, uh, you know, a silver lining kind of way. And, you know, the fact that we had no kind of prospect pipeline and, you know, you know a lot of holes really on that left uh, side of the, the wing uh, ended up kind of coming in to help us out on this one uh, because, of course, you know, most teams have a whole lot more depth. Uh, so the fact that there was a, you know, a clear path to, you know, I think, you know, I, I'm trying to tamper expectations, you know, to me, no matter what. He, you know, unless he midway through the season gets on a plane back to Russia, this was undoubtedly a win. You get an asset, he costs $925,000, know, nothing against the cap, especially if you ended up putting him down. Obviously, the acquisition price was exactly what it, we want it to be free. And the fact that there were 20 teams bidding on this guy and he ultimately chose Vancouver, I think, is just in such stark contrast. I think one of the Twitter polls was up yesterday is, you know, would we have still made this signing if uh, the old guy was still here? And like, of of course not. It's just, and it's just a, a demonstration of a clear culture shift and the way that players and unrestricted free agents who don't have to sign here, have no motivation to sign here other than what they see the organization is going to do moving forward. So, you know, to me, that's, the, like the, the first point or I think the the real focus here is just simply that we actually won something when we're a city and a franchise that is so used to not. Uh, I, I can't even really think of a UFA like this that was so highly coveted in his prime years. Cause the, the other thing I think that needs to be mentioned is he's 26. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, it's not like we just got a 20-year-old or, you know, a 22-year-old who's going to be here or could be here for presumptively, you know, five, eight-plus years. We're, we're looking at, you know, probably, you know, Evgeny Dandenov, you know, around, he came over around the same age, you know, that kind of time frame. So a couple of good years. So it's not like this is some grand slam, Artemi Panarin, Kirill Kaprasov, you know, something like of that level. But it, to me, it's, it's a clear, clear win. So that was, I think, you know, kind of the first thing I looked at. Now, you know, as soon as the news broke, because, of course, I'm worried about getting my heart broken. So I didn't do too much research. Uh, I, you know, I looked into, you know, some elite prospects reports. Of course, I listened to, you know, some radio and there was some you know, great kind of prospect updates on him. And uh, Dylan Griffin on uh, 650 yesterday from elite prospects. Uh, you know, he was comparing him. No, uh, you know, I, I, like, I wrote down this very clearly on my notepad here to make sure I don't miss this point. But the way he described him, and of course watching the Stanley Cup finals right now, and I just, says I am restating and restating and restating here, he's not. He is a poor man's ideally version. But it seems like he plays a similar way to Kucherov. Great playmaker or has that great playmaking, has that edge, extremely patient, high IQ, has the wheels when he needs to, but maybe not the high-end gear, little, do- maybe of a, you know, a liability defensively. Uh, so, you know, again, I'm not expecting him to put up 30 goals or 30 plus goals, but I, I think there's a, certainly a path to 30 plus assists. And we, the, you know, the way we have our team structured there are some guys who really like to have, you know, the, themselves set up for that one shot, you know, or one-time goal. You know, you think of Horvat and you think of Pedersen, you know, either of those situations, I think, you know, obviously try them out on both. Like, you know, to me, the guys who are writing in like hard lines, like, Oh, these are your lines here on, you know, July or June 21st, you know, obviously incredibly premature. Let them all come in the camp and, and play with each other and, uh, and, you know, go from there. Um, but, you know, the the idea or where you can see him fitting in when you kind of look at those stylistic fits, uh, you know, it seems like he could kind of fit in anywhere in our top six. Uh, so, you know, that's appealing because, you know, he's a left winger, but of course he has a right hand shot. We're a little weak on that right hand shot, especially on the power play. Uh, so, you know, again, I'd swat him in on hopeful as a, you know, kind of PP2 guy. Um but uh, yeah, you know, again, it's, it's, it's encouraging to say the least to, uh, you know, win something like that and a guy that, you know, also is 26, so, you know, should be ready to, you know, c- come with the rigors and not have to, other than learning, of course, the NHL style game versus the KHL, which is certainly going to be a learning curve too. Yeah, uh, we've,
1: seen, we've seen other players in the past struggle with that transition. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So, you know, that's, that's where the, you know, the real variable comes in, but at least he'll, you know, have that maturity, the physical maturity, as you kind of pointed out, we've you know i seen some uh, pictures there. He's uh, yeah. I, you know, I don't expect him to get knocked off the puck.
1: Yeah. He's a little bowl for sure. And uh, I mean, I, th- I think you nailed it when you said r- risk-free, right? This is a essentially a risk-free contract. If it doesn't work out, it's a one-year deal. Um, you hope people still look back and be like, Hey, look, like it, it it was cool that we wooed this guy away from, like you said, 19 other teams um, and put together a good enough package, not only just for what he can contribute on the team, but selling the city and selling the franchise and all these things. And I think you're right too, that, you know, we do have a roster in which Kuzmenko looks at that and says, I, I'm probably one of the top six forwards on this team right now. Um, whereas, you know, other teams around the league, perhaps he looked at and he's like, I'm going to have a tough time, fitting, uh, you know, squeaking into the top six. I might be close to like 16, 17 minutes a game. Whereas he looks at Vancouver and says, I'm, I, I, I got a good chance at a roll right off the bat here. Um, also, you think, like you wonder if Pud Colson's, the perfect line mate for him, right? You know, I'm sure Pog Colson's happy, have, have sure happy to have another Russian around. I'm um, sure Kuzmenko is happy to have another Russian around. And uh, they could, you just kind of look stylistically, like Pog Colson's more of a shoot-first, goal-scoring type. Uh, Kuzmenko seems like more of a, a, a playmaker. That right there seems like a fit. You throw a guy like... Maybe even Horvat, who's not a playmaker, is more of a, a, a shoot-first kind of guy too. You wonder if that's maybe a nice fit for Kuzmenko right there. Um, so yeah, fit-wise, I think I think it makes a ton of sense. Uh, we kind of we've heard a lot about you know the Canucks' process of, of of wooing him, and and as you mentioned, would the old guy have been able to do that? And I mean, you just it's almost comical thinking about how those conversations or attempts would go by the last regime um, to the point where maybe the agent and the player are just like is this a fucking joke like um, so 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 it is yeah. very it's very refreshing and nice to see the competence of Rutherford, Alvin, etc and obviously a buy-in from Aquilini too, willing to spend some bucks where he needs to um you know hopefully giving them some free meals at a couple of his nice overpriced restaurants um, things like that so yeah pretty excited to be honest i think it uh, i think it'll be very very exciting come training camp to see what this kid looks like on the ice
0: the point that you brought up there and i think that maybe hasn't been you know explicitly stated at least i was trying to come like what a take hasn't already been given yet is that what this new management allows And having a large group that, you know, everyone has a clear role and a clear department, and then essentially two people who oversee it, who don't have necessarily any direct responsibilities versus a small group who seem to want to have a hand in everything. And by doing so stretch themselves too thin. So when you had a group of three, a general manager and two AGMs, do you think you would have had six and a half hours to drive? To go meet this guy? No, you wouldn't. And and it, and it just speaks to you and me and all the other guys who are out there and girls who are saying the, the, the clearly the process here is flawed. Clearly, what is happening is not working. And and the responses and the answers that we'd get were no, you know, we like having a small group. The you know, this is how it works because we have a tight ship and all kind of one of the group of thinking. It, it, it was just. And, and every other franchise, the successful franchises, they all have these huge, large expansion groups. And we speculated, was this an Aquilini thing? Was this him saying, listen, I, you know, I don't want to spend money on this area. Well, you know, again, i I can only go with what I see. And since a new head of the hockey department has been around, we have been hiring and hiring and hiring and hiring, and we have a large head office now. So, It's just one of those things that, you know, there's just so many clear, good reasons to move on. And this is just another one of those displayed, you know, I, we don't need to speculate. We've all, we can all just close our eyes and hear exactly what the response would have been today with the old guy with, you know, with the, you know, I'm not even going to say them, but you all know (laughs) them already. You've heard them time and time and time and time again. We would, we know exactly how it would have gone. We would have been one of the fi- runners up, and we would have been just that close. And for X, Y, and Z, it didn't happen, right? So you know, to to just to see that kind of you know the the process, the proof of concept, the the mm-hmm. it actually happening uh, the way that we said it would, it's just that like sense of relief that you know the, the what
1: we were speculating, and, and now we're seeing it actually happen. Yeah, it's like things are different now right and that's what we've been hoping for for at least 5 6 years so it's, it is nice it is absolutely wow. nice to, nice to have that and to see that so um so that that takes us right into just this off season right this is a huge off season for the canucks uh there it's the first off season with the new this new competent management group um and yeah this team has some good pieces we all know that but what would you say are the well, I'll tell you what I think the priorities are for this offseason. You tell me if you agree, disagree, or want to add anything in there. So for me, top of the list is you got, you got to start rebuilding this defense. And that starts with acquiring probably Quinn Hughes' partner for not only the near future, but potentially the long term. Is that going to be? Is that going to happen in in one sign, one trade? Who knows? Probably not. But you got to start looking ahead to that. So acquiring that right-hand D-man, or at least right-side D-man, um, that can be you know a, a top two NHL quality D-man. Uh, acquiring some prospects. So that probably means getting more picks. And then lastly, for me, is you know you got to shed at least one or two of the bad salaries. So the bad salaries to me are obviously. Poolman, Oel. I don't think there's any way in hell where we're shedding that, so I think we're stuck with that one and have to be prepared for that. Tyler Myers, Peter Pearson, Jason Dickinson. I think for me, one one of the higher ones, but if but probably two of those guys, we need to find a way to shed their salaries. To me, those are the three priorities. What are your thoughts on that?
0: I, I, you know, I were. Absolutely aligned. The right hand D is the most glaring weakness of all the weaknesses that you you know you simply can't expect to be not just a hopeful playoff team, but a regular playoff team and a cup contending team, unless you address that right hand defense. So, you know, you absolutely do that. To how I you know I, how I've tried to look at it is what do we have? Goaltending, check. Demko great. Spencer Martin, you know, for what he'll need to do, you know, making minimum money. He's, you know, he's proven in a short amount of time that he can do something like that. With Ian Clark, I'm not of, because of our limited cap space, I'm not in favor of spending another dollar on our goaltending group. You know, if that means Mikey hopefully gets, one, he's still here, and two, he gets some NHL games because of it. That that sounds good to me. It doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world. Again, I'm not expecting this to be, you know, a, a you know, regular playoff team next year. You know, my hope is we start talking about that the following season. So the other uh, you know strength we have, especially now with Kuzmenko, is our top six, and the, the guys that you kind of labeled there as you know our bad contracts. The, the one, I, you know, I'm also, of course, I don't want to attach any kind of asset to these players because we simply don't have them. So, you know, we, I, we just got to stop that bleeding. So of those guys, the ones that I think you can move easily or without assets are top of the list Tanner Pearson. I wouldn't be surprised if we can get a third deck back. You know, maybe a late second, depending upon the team and the situation. Now, again, of course, he does have a a no-trade clause. So, you know, we will have to work that out to some extent. But, you know, it is one of those other nice things about a new management group. New management didn't sign that new trade clause. It's not the first time a new group has come in with a new no-trade clause and said, hey, you don't have a spot here. doesn't work here. And you'll find out very quickly when players are told... Hey, you don't you're not wanted here. That that no trade clause, it turns out that you know they're willing to move it pretty quickly because these guys want to be wanted. Mm-hmm. They're at a, some level bit of an ego maniac. So the fact that they're not wanted by an organization does not sit well with them unless they're it's old and at the end of their career. Human
1: nature though, right? Human nature. Imagine yeah. imagine your company said, Hey, Malcolm. You know, yeah. we we don't want you anymore. You're gonna you're gonna go somewhere where you're valued and wanted. So it, it, it's it's hum, human nature, exactly. So what that trade clause does is allows you to facilitate a trade
0: to a team that you or a city that you actually want to go to. Yeah. So ultimately, I don't think that's going to be a deal breaker, but it is a stumbling block. But again, Tanner Pearson and that three seven five, you know, you absolutely got to clear that up because you can replace that well right away with Kuzbenko, I'd say, or in UFA, you know, come August for a million, million and a half bucks on a one-year it, deal. But is
1: his contract a stumbling block? How many teams are saying, "Oh, Tanner Pearson's got a good contract, or he's paid fairly"? Even I yeah. don't think any. I, you know, by
0: no means am I, is that. I don't think anyone's looking at that and going, "Oh, here's a good value contract." But there are teams who have the space, you know, that will be willing to take on an asset like, like that in the off season. You know, remember when he was a pending UFA, apparently we were getting some pretty decent offers for him. Now, again, that is as a pending UFA, but it was at the same salary. So, you know, I think he has a slightly higher salary than he's worth, but he's got those good old intangibles that, you know, good old GMs love, won a cup. Great Spent in the fast. locker room. Great in the locker room. Great in the room. room. Great in the room, right? So, you know, there there are those things that will make him appealing transitioning now to the other things, you know, if there's one kind of cliche I have in the back of my head or so many, but one of them is there's no such thing as an untradeable right-handed defenseman. Tyler Myers, of course, that's not a great contract. Do I think we could trade him? Yeah, I think I do. Tucker Pullman, again, not a good contract. No. Do I think we could move him? Yeah, I do. Really? So, to me, ultimately, it's about how can you replace those guys internally? Because, uh, you know, again, by no means am I here saying I'm a Tucker Pullman fan, but it is so hard to find those right-handed defensemen right now that you know you kind of got to look at it's okay, it's this or what? It's, you know, you, you know, some people are, you know, they just complain about a problem with no solution. Well, okay, who are you replacing Tucker Pullman with? At what cap it? What's the acquisition cost on something like that? So, you know, I think you need to factor all those moves in when you're contemplating moving both Tucker Poolman and Tyler Myers. Because as I, by no means am I sitting here saying good contracts, assets to the team, those are guys you build a cup contending team around. But I'm certainly not willing to attach an asset to move either of them. No, And I think without uh, someone to replace them with, you are solving one problem and creating another one. Yeah. So, you know, those are both guys that you know, in conjunction with other moves,
1: I'd certainly consider. So I'd I'd agree with you that with that Myers, you know, Myers is an NHLD man. There's no question about that. He's he's got his flaws, he's got his warts, his contract is, you know, he's paid too highly for what he brings. And that makes me think that the Canucks may have to eat some salary, right? And I'm okay with that too, right? Two years left. I think if a team could get Myers for 4, 4.5 mil for the the last two years of that contract, there would be a lot of teams lining up for that. So I think the Canucks really got to look at that. Um, And that might be an opportunity to say, um, or or, sorry, yeah. And then with, with Poolman, There, I disagree with you because I I agree with you that right-handed D-men who are NHL quality and caliber are, you know, there's always a demand. I don't think Poolman fits that. I don't think Poolman is an NHL quality player, even at, if he was paid 800,000 a year, not many teams are going to want that guy as their sixth D-man, right? Like he, that's how bad he was for us. I think he had a bad season. I think he probably was better at times in Winnipeg. But if anyone's looking at the tape or anyone followed his season last year, that guy should be a that guy should be an A that, that guy's like an AHL D man. He's that bad in my opinion. His
0: his mistakes were really loud. And I think that's part of the problem is when he, he made a mistake, it you know often resulted in a goal in the back of the net. And clearly that's not a good thing. And again, by no means am I sitting here going like Tucker are actually a really good player and no one knows it. But ultimately, he's two and a half against the cap. And I do think he is an NHL caliber player. Bottom six pairing. Anytime you get him into the top four, that's absolutely a huge problem. And that's also what was happening was he was having to actually take some top four matchups uh, on this team because we just simply had no one else. But it, as a third pair only right-handed defenseman at two and a half, again, I prefer that than attaching an asset to trade
1: him. No. Yeah, no, fair enough. And and, and, and again, by no
0: means am I saying, but remember, Eric Goodbranson was making 4.4. 4. Was he an NHL-caliber defenseman? And he moved him. And yeah. he's still playing in the league. Yeah, that, Just again, to speak to the scarcity of right-handed defensemen, that's the problem. No right-handed defenseman really is paid what they're worth. They're all, especially the ones who get to UFA, inflated because there's just none of them. It, you know, people with sons start teaching them how to play defense and shoot right-handed because yeah. that's that's
1: your guaranteed way to a contract right now. I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's true. Right? And daughters. Sorry. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so so also this off season too is like, I wonder because I wasn't sure if if you know, Rutherford and LV and realized like okay you know we got we got to rebuild this we need a couple years, going out and getting a guy like Kuzmenko makes you wonder if they're if they're trying to you know turn this around in a hurry which is a a tricky phrase around these parts but we're, uh... yeah exactly
0: we're, <laughs> I think we're just scarred from that yeah and, 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 and just. Like the most infuriating thing about that, I hate going back. I hate going back, but (laughs) was that he said he accomplished it because he made the playoffs in year one. But I, you know, you know, I, there is a path to getting this team back to, I think, again, being a really, uh, you know, a strong playoff team the following season. I, I don't, I think, you know, it's, it's sure, it's possible that we could take a couple steps back, a couple steps forward you know, gain a prospect or two, just construct the team a little bit better, have a full year under Boudreaux and be, be uh, you know, make the playoffs next year. By all means, I think that's realistic, but we're, a, you know, fodder to, you know, the division champion. You know, the the following year is, you know, so I don't really care. So the, the following year is when I think, you know, it's possible to start building that team out. And, and you know, again, if you're willing to take, and and make some hard decisions, which by all means, I think, you know, the little bit of smoke that we've got indicates that they are. Uh, You know, I do think that you could turn this around and and have, you know, there are the basic structure of what you need. The, the, The hardest part to, you know, if you're trying to rebuild quickly or turn it around quickly, you can't do that unless you don't have some young star players. That was really where it, Fell short last time is that there wasn't that base because we'd already been so successful for so long that we were picking at the end of drafts. We were rightfully trading picks for you know rentals that you know to go on playoff runs. So there wasn't those top five, top seven, first round picks available that you could start building off because you have the number one C, because you have the number two C in Horvat, because you have the number one D in in uh, Hughes and the number one D in Demko. Yes, I, I do think a competent and above average management group like we do have now, I do think that you could turn this around in two years. I, you know, again, it, it requires you know, anyone else that I did not just list there, you know, other than I'll say, you know, Pod Colson is up for grabs. You know, I, I don't think it's any secret to me that, you know, people here that I think Miller ha- absolutely has to go. I would looking, look at moving in Garland as well. But if you do those two subtractions and they're, you know, $10 million in cap hits, one of those players goes to address the right-handed side of the D. I'm just going to, you know, just for simplicity's sake, give me this one, Garland for Severson. That, you know, again, relatively neutral cap hit. In fact, we save a little bit by doing that. You know, you can start to restructure this thing. You bring in some guys who are just good complementary fits. That's what Toronto's done successfully. Is they've looked at what their skill players need to complement them on their wing, and taken a bunch of swings. Obviously, Florida's done that as well. And not all of them hit, but one of them. All, all you need is one of them to hit, and so you fill in the top six that way. You address the bottom six by bringing in, you know, two right-handed centers. Uh, you know, thankfully there are a fair number of those guys who kind of fit that role. You know, available. You know Curtis Lazar, just off the top of my head. You know, would be a nice fit. There's also what well, we, we you know that's that one Swedish signing. Uh, you know, big guy. I'm not going to come up with his name right now. Niels
1: uh, Niels Amon or Amon.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, you know, he kind of profiles as a fourth line center. Of course, you've got I'm uh, blanking on him again, but uh, Lamico. Uh, you know, who can play fourth line center? You know, you start to address and and try to find you know those guys. Of course, Dickinson. You know, I don't think you know. There's any way out of him, uh, so you know he's on my roster next year to try to turn it around and then be able to you know flush him for a third or fourth round pick the following year. Um, you know, I you know I think there is a path with competent management with the core
1: pieces that we've earned by sucking. Yeah, well, you know I agree with you on the Miller. Miller needs to get traded, team right? Like to me, it's just it's just not even a question. Um, his next contract's going to be way too big and it's not going to age well, just like 95% of those contracts in NHL history haven't. Uh, he's a guy who I still am a firm believer. I, I, I've, I've been banging this drum that was probably we were probably going to get the most for him at last year's deadline. It didn't happen. I understand why you couldn't have traded them at last year's deadline with the way the team was playing and everything like that. I don't think the new management could come in trade them and just say sorry boys we're giving up on this season um that's a way to make enemies right off the bat uh but that being said that's the piece that is going to turn around the the future of this franchise a la rick nash five years ago um you know these kind of trades when you have a star player I, the, the most frustrating thing i hear is why would you trade your best player to me those people who say that are just so short sighted don't really understand how hockey, how how things work around the nhl and are just kind of focused on strictly the canucks and the current canucks anyways that's that's the type of thing that 3 or 4 years from now you look back on and you're like that's what That's what did it. That was the difference maker. Right. So you, you get that right. I I think any Miller trade right-hand defense prospect is paramount, absolutely paramount. I would take less of a package on a good right-hand D D prospect. than if it was like a left winger and a left D prospect and a pick, I would, you know, you, you, you gotta focus on that right-hand D um, position. Uh, I also think that there's some guys this offseason who can, you know, you focus on you look at a guy like Nechushkin, you look at that that impact that he's having on Colorado, not only in the playoffs this year, but all season long and really for the last couple of years. It's a big body. It's another Russian you can bring in to help with Pud Colson and Kuzmenko. We got to think too. There's a possibility. This is a, this is like a showcase for Kuzmenko. He he comes out, has one year, puts up 50 points. Next year, that contract's looking like four million a year or something, and maybe the Canucks are out. But uh, you know, you, you you get a guy like you have Colson around, you get a guy like Nish, Nishushkin in there. Now there's this kind of Russian influence in the room. Kuzmenko maybe wants to stick around for a little longer. Also, he might see this team is. Very close to competing, and we got competent a competent GM in here to to, to make sure that we do compete. Um, so lots, now, lots, I lots got, of... I'll just to kick in there.
0: What number are you comfortable with on a contract for your Chuchkin?
1: Well, this this would depend on what we can shed for for salary because that would that would be needed. okay. Just in a
0: vacuum, then
1: in a vacuum, I'd say five years, five point five, five years, five mil. <laughs>
0: I, you know, like, I, you know, at least uh, I was stunned when I started to hear those kind of numbers for him. And I, and I know he's been better for a couple of years, but he's also, you know, 27. He was the same draft class as, you know, uh, Horvat, who were talking about potentially getting old, you know, in the next couple of years. And, you know, some people are worried about giving him a long-term contract. And, and I worry about those guys who kind of peak late and don't have that real body of work. And he had some real down years. So I I worry about giving him both the term and the money on that kind of deal. I was hoping he was going to come in at a you know a, a three on a on a three year deal or something like that. But There's obviously no his playoff performances you know skyrocket him ahead of that, and it seems like you know there are certainly some
1: people who would pay him that. The thing, the thing too the, thing too, the thing about Natchuskin though is his since his early years, his defensive profile is top notch. He's Always got incredible defensive numbers. He's very focused on that end of the ice. Only in the last couple years has he started putting up the points. And I think as a high draft pick, I remember what what was it the Horvat draft where you know we traded we traded uh, Schneider away for that pick, and there was a lot of talk about is this going to be where we take Nichushkin. He no, was a high and he was a high profile guy, um, and his offense didn't translate. He to his credit maintained himself as a NHL player because of his defensive strengths. Um, And he's maintained that despite throwing up the offensive numbers right now. I think he's a guy who figured out the NHL game. Um, I think his size, his physicality and his defensive awareness alone make him a valuable part, especially to a team like the Canucks who are soft to play against, don't have many big bodies Um, and don't have many good defensively defensive minded forwards, right? Like we thought maybe Dickinson was supposed to be this defensive minded forward and it was, that was not the case. So, um, I get, I get the concerns, I get the age, uh, but I don't mind paying a 27 year old for five years. I think, I think the issue with Horvat, the worry with Horvat is that he's getting that eight year deal. And then, and then last Two three years of that deal is just going to be going to be rough,
0: you know. And and, and fair enough. And it was obviously a fifty five game season last year, but he had twenty one points. You know, like I, I I'm I just if I'm paying someone for defense, it's going to be a defender or a center, not a winger. I just to me that's you're paying too much money for stats. I'm not willing to pay for that. I can I can find defensive play for a lot cheaper than 5.5 per so I, pr- I prefer to go that route
1: yeah 52 points this year in 62 games including 25 goals so uh, hey <laughs> hey by all means he
0: had a good year this year but also beware of guys in contract years and yeah. you know uh, to ho- hopefully not get in too much trouble but there's some history with russians getting paid and yeah. going downhill
1: yeah, no you're absolutely right. So uh but yeah, anyway, so this 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 offseason is going to be uh just a massive run for the Canucks and it's going to be telling to see what this new management group is is thinking about this team and this roster and what needs to get done. So uh also there's a big question mark with Besser. What what do we do with Besser, right? He's a guy who's he's uh RFA, needs a new contract. His Qualifying offer is 7.5, which has gotten a lot of, of talk, you know, in the Vancouver market. Obviously, that's too much to pay the guy. Worst case scenario, he chooses his qualifying offer, or he, you know, assuming we offered it, we, we, we did offer it to him, uh, and takes that and it walks him to free agent on a one year 7.5 million contract. That can't happen. So, there's two options one long term deal. To trade the guy. So I'll ask you, long-term deal, what does that number look like for Besser? What do you think is a realistic kind of fair number for each side as far as term and and dollar amount?
0: So there there is a third option because he doesn't actually become a UFA after next year. He would would be be an RFA for one more year. Oh, okay. And if I'm putting myself in in Besser's shoes, we all know that his dad just passed away. I can't imagine that he's all that interested in talking contract right now. So, you know, because it's 7.5, and, you know, again, there's one thing I'm not actually going to fault betting on. It's it's this contract. They were incredibly trendy at the time. It it was the right move because, you know, he wanted a long-term deal, and he has been up and down since then. And of course, this was all pre-pandemic. So, you know, everyone expected the cap to be, let's say at least $6 million more than it currently is. And, you know, at that point, a $7.5 million qualifying offer, you know, is, isn't is such a big deal. So, I, you know, I, you know, the early talk was, you know, hey, maybe we're going to be able to get something, you know, midterm done, which, you know, I, I don't know about the long-term deal. I, you know, if I were to kind of rank the, probabilities of everything to happen, I'd probably put long-term deal as the least likely to happen. Um, I'd say, you know, our kind of mo- most realistic options are probably that one year qualifying offer. And then, you know, we pretty much immediately start negotiating on a long-term deal, you know, once kind of camp opens, uh, you know, again, and we start to see, you know, what kind of player he is or a midterm deal in that three to four year range. And, you know, I, you know, I like Besser. I think trading him right now would be a mistake. Uh, you know, I, I hate trailing, trading assets when they're low. You know that from fantasy football. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, my preference would be to try to get him on that three to four year deal. And, uh, you know, it, it seems like a lot, but because of the, the leverage he has, I think you go seven million you know, seven times three or seven times four. And, you know, you hope that obviously this was a down year and he bounces back and then, you know, you can renegotiate for, you know, hopefully another three or four year deal, uh, you know, a couple of years down the line. I just think, you know, if you trade him, the, the options are, are, are not good. You're selling an asset too low. Uh, you know, obviously the 7.5 one year deal isn't preferable, but, you know, again, if I, if I were to put myself in, Brock Besser's shoes right now, if, you know, the contacts and everything off ice, I just signed that one year deal and, and, and kick it down the road.
1: Yeah. And I think the, you know, Canucks and the management team are in a tough spot because it's either Besser could very well say, you know, I'll take the 7.5 or I'll just go to UFA right now and hopefully sign in Minnesota. So they don't, the Canucks don't have a lot of leverage in this. Um, for whatever the reason I mean you you're given you are not you're not putting any blame on Benning for that I I do a little bit um, <laughs> as as I'm out no. to do yeah yeah um but uh yeah I also worry I've been I've been a huge best of supporters since we drafted him or since you know his his first game with the Canucks and um I do worry a little bit like here he is what is he in his fifth year what is what is he is he i always thought he had more in the tank i always thought he was more of a goal scorer um i now after after five years and you know a lot of injuries i wonder is is he ever going to be a 35 40 goal scorer or is he kind of that 25 30 goal perennial which is a fine nhl player this is a good nhl player but if you're paying a guy seven plus mil you're hoping that he's potting you 30 goals minimum every season.
0: You, you know, and you're absolutely right. He did have, you know, 23 in, in 56 games last year. Right. Which is, you know, 0. 0.4 goals a game, you know, it, which is, which is pretty good. Like that's, that's certainly 30 plus on a, on an 82 game year. Right. And, and, I think, you know, again, I I think that this truly was a down year and now given all the kind of context and we know, you know, how, you know, emotional a guy is and obviously very fair and and right to be, you know, upset and emotional and distracted by something like this, that, you know, again, of course, we're not going to get his best, you know, his best year, you know, so, so I, I, you know, I just don't see trade, like, I just don't see any realistic trade that returns any Kind of similar value, so like you know, to me that that's just you know I I just I can't consider that as an option because I I truly believe he's a better player than he showed this last year. And of course, any GM that you're negotiating with, they're going to say, nah, you know, he's up and down. He's you know has the injury history, never played a full eighty-two game season, blah 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 blah. And you know, you're 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 going to get another bad problem like. You know the suggestions of trading him for another bad RFA deal, like ugh, like no. absolutely not. Have zero interest in that whatsoever.
1: Let me clarify: I, I don't want to trade the guy. I just think you got to figure out that that kind of long term ish contract with him before he before he accepts a qualifying offer. So I, if I'm if I'm the Canucks right now, I sit him down briefly and I say, "Look, I know it's a tough time for you. I don't want to drag this out. We you know we think you're a great player. We think you're." part of this future i know you're tight with ep and 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 quinn we want you here let let, let's do this six by six your family's set up for for life essentially it's not something you have to think about you can focus on other things six by six takes you like through your prime in vancouver hopefully everything goes well and we'll talk another a second contract at that time let's get this over with we love you we support you boom take it hey
0: i'm i'm certainly in favor of the six by six as much as that term is emotionally scarring again for (laughs) connects fans um you know i have certainly speculated and and would look for a 6 times 6 deal i just again i worry about the you know the incoming gm and you know the what we've heard about maybe their perception and what we know of how they like to build a team speed which we know is the knock-on besser like if you know, Besser was a pure skater. He would have been one of those top 10 picks in, in that draft class. You know, he slipped because of his speed and, and, you know, in a, in a game that is so fast, I think that's probably why we see some lapses uh, in his game is because he isn't, you know, doesn't have that quick acceleration that, you know, a lot of the top six forwards do have. So, you know, I, I you know, I would sign six times six. I just, you know, cause again, I believe in him If I've been here and I, you know, remember, you know, watching YouTube videos during the draft after getting upset that we weren't getting McDavid that season and refusing to do a bunch, uh, and, you know, and and going like, you know, this Besser kid looks pretty good. And, and you know, if they can – you know, you can fix speed. Uh, Horbats is an example. You know, he could be a good player. Uh, so, you know, again, I, I would sign it. I just I, – I don't think it's maybe necessarily a realistic possibility based on the, you know, what we have been able to glean uh, from, you know, how Rutherford and Alvin build a team, you know, rarely if ever is he a guy listed in that kind of core uh, that they discuss. So, you know, typically you don't go long-term on guys that you aren't considered a core player.
1: Totally fair. All right. Well, we're here. We're close to 45 minutes here. So uh, uh, I think we'll, we'll, we'll end her now. It's been a good discussion. Appreciate you coming on. I do have one last question for you right now, as it stands, Tampa Bay just won game three last night, two to one Colorado over Tampa Bay in the final so far. Uh, what's your prediction? There's a little bit of a handicap now, obviously on Colorado side. So, so where, where, where do you see this going?
0: You know, I was, I, you know, I counted Tampa out in the first round. And then I, well, you know, it was, it was going into it. It was, of course, because they were playing the Leafs, like, ah, shit. Like, you know, <laughs> it's it's so hard to three-peat. Is this finally going to be the year that the Leafs are able to crack through? Okay. And, you know, so I, I had that little bit of seed of doubt coming into the playoffs. Obviously, again, Vasilevsky wasn't playing his best in that first round. But it seems like, and the best teams, and if we've learned anything from our, uh, you know, failed 2011 Sydney-era run, the best coaches and the best teams are able to adapt during a playoff series, learn their opponent's weaknesses and start to exploit them. And we've seen that now, you know, last whole playoff run from Tampa, you know, their last cup. And, you know, that we started to see that in the series this year that, you know, the other team started strong. They won the first game or the first two games and then Tampa adapted and got stronger and, and were able to outlast that series. So, you know, I, I, Believe it or not, I'm still going Tampa. I you know, ultimately, I think goaltending is so huge in these high, high, high pressure games, even more so than the conference finals. You know, Canucks fans don't need to be reminded that some very, very good goaltenders can crumble in a Stanley Cup final and or win,
1: or win you a series a la Tim Thomas. It, it,
0: totally. And, and, you know, Vassilessi just has that pedigree, that unflappability. And, you know, we, we've seen him shake off a seven goal performance and, you know, turn in a, you know, a hell of a show last night. So, you know, I, I, I you know, I'll change it from six to seven, but I still have Tampa outlasting him. I do not believe in Des, Des, uh, Darcy Kemper. I, you know, I don't think Pam Fra- Panso- Francoise has <laughs> the juice either. Um, You know, to me, it was I I was calling. You know, everyone who's talked to me the whole year, it's been Colorado, Colorado. I'm like, yes, unless their goaltending cracks, and their goaltending is starting to crack.
1: Yeah. So interestingly, I also said Tampa in six before the series started, uh, mainly because of the goaltending edge. I didn't real, I didn't think that you know Vasilevsky was going to be an issue for the first couple games. Um, I do think. I mean, you watch. Colorado is really taking it to them five on five. Uh, They are fast. Their forecheck is is something else. But I think you nailed it. Tampa figure just they figure it out, right? They find a way, and that's what great teams do. They find a way. They're never out of it. Uh, We saw that in the Tampa or the Toronto series. We saw that in the Rangers series. So. I'm going to change mine to also Tampa in seven instead of Because <laughs> I don't think they're going to win three straight here or four straight. It would yeah. be. But I do think that that is going to figure it out. Uh, he started the process. I mean, after that first, the first goal is a little weak uh, yesterday. But after that, he was strong. Uh, so I'm going Tampa in seven as well and it'll
0: be it'll be the same games as the 2011 series everyone wins at home until game seven
1: there you go there you go and one thing i do want to say too is uh, as hockey fans not just canucks fans we need to cherish this series because this is some of the best hockey we're we're going to watch these are two absolutely elite teams uh it's rare that the two best teams in hockey actually make it to the cup for whatever reason whether it's injuries or just you know sometimes shit happens but uh as hockey fans we really need to, to to focus on this series watch and enjoy because this is some of the best hockey we're ever going to see in our life yeah and take the over for the love of god take the over <laughs> yes exactly malcolm appreciate you man um this of course. Has been good yeah it's good to see you let's uh Let's keep declining each other's uh, fantasy football trades. Maybe one of these, <laughs> maybe one of these, will come together. I'm glad we have better chemistry on podcast than we do with our trades. <laughs> yeah, 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 better value uh, over here. <laughs> awesome, man. Okay, well take care of yourself. Thanks, everyone. Canucks Mafia, episode 43, part of the Area 51 Sports Network Group. Talk to you soon.